0: One of our most basic notions of time is lifetime, which means we, are, we know we are born, we know we have to die, and in a way we have to relate to that kind of time uh, which is given to us as our lifetime.
1: Feel 24, or or 34, and uh, time then tells you no. But you're not. Look at yourself. You know, you are much further down the line.
2: The biggest enemy of all days is uh, loneliness. You're lonely after it, the people you're leaving after you.
3: to ashes
4: and dust to dust, insurance and hope of the resurrection.
5: And the child, unless in pain or trouble, takes time as a gift. The child takes time, doesn't see time at first as a threat, but sees time as infinite, and sees any half-decent morning as miraculous as the beginning of the world. Time masters the unfortunate adult, the schoolchild and the adult. We become... Our days become mastered by timed measurements. And time becomes, at best, success, at worst, drudgery. And then finally there is time as death. The old man with the scythe suddenly assumes a more terrible and malignant aspect. And instead of simply being somebody tidying away the past... Become somebody who may be tidying you away.
3: A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to
0: weep. Take
6: time while time is, for time will away. Early sundials usually carried some philosophical reflection on the passage of time. Like, death is certain, only the hour is uncertain. To the gentler motto of a Venetian sundial, I count only the hours that are serene. The nature of time and its seemingly measured flow has raised more questions than answers. This instant in time, our now, is gone before we can comprehend it. Seeing time as a continuous series of nows, like the image of the flowing river, offers a way of looking at time. What is time made of? How is it measured out? Clocks and calendars are convenient devices that we take for granted, of course, but they are based on the apparent movements of the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars. And through the ages, astronomers and philosophers have looked up there to deal with the question of time
2: what is the stars <laughs> what oh, is the stars yeah. oh that's
5: that's the question that's the question what is the stars and then i take another
7: look up and i ask myself what
2: is the moon ah that's the question what is the moon
0: you hit on time not only when you, when you see the, the Earth rotate in your eyepiece, when the uh, telescope stands still, but when you look out into the, the stars, because what you actually see is light, which has taken years to, to reach the Earth. Say, if you take Vega, a, 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 a very bright star in the sky, now, Vega is about 28 light years away from us. So what I see now as the light of the star is actually the light that was there, as it were, uh, 28 years ago. The conclusion is quite obvious. When you look into the sky, you really look into the past.
8: Uh, Young Einstein is said to have started at the age of 17 by trying to chase a beam of light right on a sunbeam up to the speed of light. No one had ever performed this feat of imagination. And he realised that when he got to the speed of light, chasing a sunbeam, it would be a static phenomenon. And from that, the whole theory of relativity is said to have emerged. Relativity really meant everything is always in relative motion. I mean, the earth is relative to the sun, it's moving. The sun is moving relative to the Milky Way. The Milky Way is moving relative to something else. Everything is in relative motion. What he said is there is no such thing as absolute rest. And if there's no point in the universe of absolute rest, you cannot make absolute measurements of space. And since you cannot make a me- absolute measurements of space, you cannot make absolute measurements of time. It all becomes relative to where you are, how fast you're moving, and so on. He realized all of a sudden that the speed of light is an absolute measurement in nature. There is nothing faster.
0: One of the earliest uh, ways of measuring time, say in ancient Egypt or Babylon, and then in Greece, uh, was to just uh, use a stick, put a stick in the earth, or you can stand there in the sun and you're yourself a stick, and uh, just observe how the shadow of that stick moves along the ground. These Gnomon measurements uh, became more and more elaborate. But apart from uh, using the gnomon uh, uh, people uh, started using uh, other means of course of measuring time they had water clocks or they they had these sand clocks uh, we know they they either had their own uh, sundials or <clears throat> as it was the case in Rome uh, with the big big obelisk they uh, went uh, t- uh, to uh, the forum. Uh, they went went to the marketplace to to take the time. They sent a, a slave to take the time, who came back with a time. Our time, we see on our watches, is called mean solar time. Uh, mean solar time is not exactly the time the sun needs for a day, for instance, to uh, on its path on its apparent path around the Earth. Furthermore, the sun's movement seems to be irregular uh, during the year. One of the reasons is uh, that um, the Earth's orbit around the sun is uh, not circular, but elliptic, uh, which means for us looking out from Earth, that the sun seems to be slower or faster during the year, up to plus minus 14 minutes. So you had to introduce a kind of time which is regular, uniform, and doesn't hasten forward or slow down, but it has to keep a regular path. But on the other hand, you want to coordinate that time uh, with the true solar movement... So it's very convenient and very practical to have a a regular kind of time which is uh, time and again synchronised with what you may call natural time or cosmic time.
6: It was probably when early man made the great change from being a hunter-gatherer to the settled existence of a farming community that he first felt the need to tell the time. Many of the ancient structures were concerned, among other things, with measuring time.
2: Stone circles are regarded as being calendars of a sort uh, in archaeological terms, Uh, and they are in this way that they may record or indicate a particular date in the year. Like if one takes, for example, Drumbeg Stone Circle near Rascarbury, uh, that is orientated uh, in a south-easterly direction, Uh, And the orientation is got by uh, getting a point between the two entrance stones, extending a line across the circle over the recumbent stone, which is opposite the entrance, and extending that line to the local horizon. And you find that this happens to be the point at which the winter sun uh, on the winter solstice sets. So you could say stone... The Dumbek Stone Circle is orientated on the setting sun of the winter solstice. Other stone circles are orientated on uh, equinoxes. And uh, they, you could say, were concerned with whatever ritual they had, were, was concerned with uh, setting the seed in the springtime in the spring equinox and uh, uh, commemorating the harvest at the autumn equinox. And the ritual and festivals were concerned with that.
0: One way of defining how long a year is consists in measuring the time it takes for the sun starting from its position at the vernal equinox which marks the beginning of spring to reach this point again. You may say that's a true solar year. Now this takes 365 days, 5 hours and roughly 48 minutes. But for a calendar, uh, you want to know and to count in full days, not in fractions of days. So what to do with that rest? So what you do and what you can do is uh, to recognise that, well, 58 minutes, 46 seconds is almost six hours, which means it's almost a quarter of a day. Therefore, why not add... Uh, Four times a quarter of a day, which means a full day every four years, and that was the very reason why this uh, 29th of February was introduced. For some ridiculous reason, to which, however, I have no desire to be disloyal. Some person in authority, I don't know who, very likely the Astronomer Royal, has decided that, although for such a beastly month as February, 28 days as a rule are plenty, one year in every four, his days shall be reckoned as nine and twenty
7: the leap year was absolutely introduced uh, by, by, by Julius Caesar in the reform of the calendar, which calendar was, as I say, put into operation on January the 1st, 45 BC. All the earliest calendars appear to be lunar calendars, that's to say, you date the month, the lunar month, which, as you know, is um, different from the solar month. It works out as being about 29 and a half days. So when you actually uh, have a year of 12 lunar months then you wind up at 354 days and that's 11 and a quarter days short of the actual year, of the solar year. So from time to time they put in a month, an additional month. The Egyptians solved the problem by having 12 30-day months and then the last month had five extra days. That was their solution to the problem. But the Roman calendar had got completely out of order by the time Julius Caesar took a hand in sorting it out. And he consulted the best astronomers of the time, who were the Alexandrian astronomers, and he established a purely solar calendar. And he introduced that calendar on the 1st of January, 45 BC, in which you have a year of 12 lunar months and it was he brought in the leap year. And the length of the months are the same as they now are. Except one month, the month of uh, Quintilis, was named after Julius Caesar himself, July. Now his calendar was 11 minutes, 14 seconds too long. He overestimated the year. So that by 1582, there was an accumulated error of 10 extra days. And that's when the Pope, Pope Gregory, got got going. And in 1582, he he ordered a revision of the calendar. He decreed that the, the 10 extra days should be dropped. And two, that the leap year should be omitted every 100 years, except when the number of the year was divisible by 400. Now, this calendar was a good deal more accurate than the Julian calendar, But for reasons of sectarianism, uh, it was adopted in the Catholic countries, but um, the Protestant countries were extremely reluctant to uh, to adopt it, even though it was correct. And it was 1694 before Germany uh, uh, adopted it, and the English uh, accepted it in 1752. By that time, of course, it was 11 days wrong. (laughs) So you remember the famous uh, business of give us back our 11 days. So that's, that's how that arose.
6: On September the 14th, 1752, the Gregorian calendar was adopted in Britain, and the days between September the 3rd and the 13th were
7: omitted. But a lot of this whole problem, of course, had to do with figuring out the date of Easter, uh, because the date of Easter is linked to the moon. Uh, because it's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. The Irish eventually wound up calculating the date of Easter differently from the rest of Europe. And there was a ferocious row about this in the 7th century. And, in fact, it was the 8th century before the Irish uh, actually accepted the Roman Easter. And, in fact, the Welsh hung on for another 50 years with an Easter-like... And so you had... Uh, two different Easter's being celebrated in the Western Church. In fact, there's been a move, uh, a big move, um, uh, to get a standard calendar, a worldwide calendar. And it it was raised in the United Nations in 1954. And uh, the big pushers of it are the Indians. Uh, Because, you see, there are different calendars. The Indians actually have, have a big problem with calendars because there are 30 different calendars in operation within India. And, of course, the whole suggestion was to divide the year up into, into four seasons, into four divisions of 13 weeks each and, and sort out the problem once and for all and then to have an absolutely acceptable international way of counting years. But, of course, this, is, this has got nowhere. Too deeply ingrained Ingram. in people, they have their, uh, their markers in the year, just like the early Irish had their markers in the year. I mean, they had a few important dates from which everything hung. Like Samhain, which was the the feast of the dead amongst other things, Uh, it was the beginning of winter. Seasonal
6: changes and rural rhythms have always marked time for agricultural communities, including our own. The position of the sun or the church bell in the distance, often told more than the clock on the wall. Some cultures, like the North African newer people, have no equivalent expression in their language, for our word, time. Their time is conceived in terms of seasonal and work activities. They refer to distances travelled as so many sleeps away. For us, a major change happened during the Middle Ages. With the growth of European cities and the rise of craft industries, a more ordered society was coming into being, ticking to the sound of the mechanical clock.
4: probably in the 13th century going on to the 14th century were the iron clocks which were made by blacksmiths and later by locksmiths because the locksmith was the sort of finer end of that particular trade and he made smaller clocks whereas the blacksmith made a lot of the big public clocks in the 14th century. The early public clock started off with no dial at all it was just a bell and that bell would ring not even the hours it would just more like an alarm and it would ring a number of times maybe hourly or maybe every three hours like the estate bells later on um, after that uh, clocks had a dial so they could not only be heard but they had a single hand which could be seen externally on the building usually a very prominent building in the town. And the single hand went on practically up into the 16th century with just one hand. And then a Dutchman called Huygens invented the pendulum. And the the pendulum was a real breakthrough because it controlled the beat and the escapement of the clock much more accurately. And by lengthening and shortening the bob, on the end of this pendulum, they actually got very good time. And within about 20 years, clocks went from being half an hour out a day to being right within a minute a day.
0: At the time uh, of the late 13th century, beginning of 14th century, uh, when the first mechanical clocks were hung up in, uh, on the towers of city halls or churches, uh, where a major change happened. If you have a, a clock hanging up on a, a city hall, then, of course, the whole town has one time. And if there is one time, you can bring people together to start their work at that one time. At the time of the rise of these industries, the rise of cities with industries, you needed this kind of mechanical clock time uh, to an increasing extent to coordinate labour or to coordinate the business in town. And that's, I think, uh, why... Uh, uh, this measurement of time via mechanical clocks uh, was one of the conditions of the possibility of coordinated work leading to
4: industrial evolution it also became very important for navigation and of course george harrison who was the i suppose the father of the chronometer he produced chronometers that were tested under the most severe conditions all over the world and uh, lost only seconds in a year and that was around 1760 so that was a marvellous achievement and of course a few seconds out or a minute or two out in navigation could be miles out of your destination and maybe bring you into very dangerous waters so that was again another marvellous breakthrough in time in Cork now we, we had the 20 minute gun for noon because for navigation we were actually 20 minutes behind Greenwich time, and if there were ships in the harbour, and their chronometers needed resetting, this 12 o'clock gun would go in the harbour here, and it would actually be the time of noon in Greenwich, which was very important again for resetting their chronometers. In some places they had a, some harbours, they had a mast with a a ball that was situated in a very um, noticeable place on the edge of the harbour, and this ball would be at the top of this pole. And when 12 o'clock Greenwich time arrived, this ball would physically drop down the pole, and the navigators on the ship could then set their uh, chronometers by this. And, uh, of course, in Greenwich they have this brass line which, which runs... Uh, through through part of the observatory there, and that is your your Greenwich noon time and from that, when the shadow crosses that line, that is uh, noon time at Greenwich and time all over the world is established from that mark i I do think that something of major importance uh, uh,
0: social uh, political economic and Uh, I think even philosophical importance, uh, happened uh, after these mechanical clocks uh, um, were introduced after uh, the beginning of the 14th century. By the introduction of a mechanical time, people tend to dissociate time from natural processes, from natural clocks which means they tend to identify time by what they see and perceive on their watches, which, as a consequence, uh, means that one of the major factors determining our lives, time, becomes more and more dissociated from natural events.
9: Well, I think the internal clock is
5: probably quite good when a person is new, when a baby's born, that he has a real sense of his own cycles, of his waking and sleeping and hunger, but that we learn to ignore the internal clock and to pay attention to the external one. And I remember once being with someone, and I said to him, are you hungry? And he looked at his wristwatch, And I thought, he really has so lo- totally lost touch with his own system that he decides how his stomach feels based on what his wrist says.
0: If we don't find a kind of tuning in with our natural clocks, we will, in the end, be human persons that, as it were, are are split up. If we don't work out that sort of identity by an adequate attitude to time, we lose ourselves.
10: I'm very dependent on time and it was brought home
0: to me a few years ago my dependence on time when I did a weekend called Choice where a number of us were in, a way for, in this um, building for a weekend from Friday evening until Sunday evening and uh, the first thing we were asked to do was to remove our watches and give them up and I found this rather bizarre really and very upsetting and the reason it was done was that we were to um, forget about time and the fact that I didn't have a watch or didn't know the time, I found it very upsetting. And it really made me aware of my dependence on time. Like, I, I'm very regimental and very organised, I suppose. But I noticed that I am constantly watching watching time.
3: And I think it's how the body and mind interpret the clock that's important. I think the more you get away from the clock or the watch, the better. I mean, we have a situation in this country where people would have quartz watches that are accurate to within 0.00 seconds every 10,000 years and the same guy's a half an hour late for an appointment and it doesn't seem to matter very much to him. And I think it's become that time is now a commodity. It's something that you've got to spare. It's something that you've got to work out how much you're going to give to various people. Each of us only has a certain amount of time in the week. No matter how rich you are, you can't create time. You can actually buy computer time, you can buy air time, you can buy advertising time, and these are things that are actually measured out physically by the media or by the people who control newspapers or the airwaves or whatever. So that's certainly a
10: commercial principle. The traditional idea that you had to sleep for eight hours, work for eight hours and play for eight hours is nonsense. Uh, Caledonian 995, just passing
6: 190 for
10: level 270.
9: And at 5 Roger, contact
4: Shine. Date 4 is now closing. This is the final departure call. Paris or Hong Kong, it doesn't take long. This way or that
11: way, it's all much the same. When you're living at this place, the world is a small place. Getting around is just the name of the game.
10: But I think the secret, at least for people like myself, is not to get too hung up about it, Um, to use the time that you have, acknowledge that you're uh, crossing uh, different time uh, boundaries, um, that uh, there are other schedules uh, than the ones that you would normally work on, and adjust yourself to these. I always set my watch to the local time, and I... Uh, have to bear in mind, of course, that I'm then either in advance or I'm behind my office in Shannon, uh, our coordinating office, our trading floor, which coordinates the movements of all of our people around the world. I have some reference to that, but otherwise I don't have any reference to the time at uh, home, so to speak.
6: Does the international dateline, uh, just moving through all these time zones,
10: have any real marked effect on you? No, but again... As I say, and as you were saying yourself earlier, it's an attitude of mind. I think if you start anchoring yourself in time, if I go from here to Hong Kong or Singapore or wherever, uh, onto the west coast of the United States, if I start anchoring myself to Irish time and thinking, what time is it now in Ireland? Uh, it It is tiring and confusing. It is that, it is the psychological concept of where you are in time that's the critical thing. I think when I'm travelling of the here and now, if it's 8 o'clock in the morning in Hong Kong, it's 8 o'clock in the morning in Hong Kong, that's that. That's where I am, that's, what I, that's the environment and the conditions under which I must work. But what about Jim King's internal clock? It seems to put up with it extremely well. Um, I do take, of course, the opportunity to exercise as much as I can when I'm travelling and when I'm at home. I've never needed a lot of sleep in my life and generally I would sleep no more than five and a half hours anywhere, wherever I am, unless I'm exceptionally tired. We're too imprisoned by this uh, perception that we have to sleep for eight hours and that you cannot have a nap at any other time. So I constantly keep my rest bank or my sleep bank replenished, not necessarily through orderly uh, long periods in bed, but wherever I happen to be, if there is the opportunity to do so.
6: There is a tension, obviously, between how much we are in control of time and how much we are controlled by time. What's your
10: experience? I think we can organise ourselves, and obviously organising ourselves is a response to the priorities that we're dealing with at the time, whether it's in our work or our private lives. I don't really believe that one has too much control over time, other than that it is truly, in my view, sinful to waste it. I think uh, life goes round only once, and one should make the most of it in every context. I watch this television
5: to, to actually pass away a time like, you know, really, like, especially in the winter nights there our like, there's nothing else to do. Unless you go to the pub, like, but you can't be in the pub all like, night, so if you're doing something interesting, the, the time don't trouble you, because you're enjoying what you're doing, like, and uh, as a matter of fact, you, you'll never enough of time then if you're doing something interesting that you'd like to do, like you wouldn't have a, enough of time at a times say.
7: Time runs out. We do not treasure time very much. We do not set great store by it. Uh, we don't run our lives on a very tight schedule. And I think this shows, it shows in our economy.
6: Our days are determined by busy schedules, diaries and timetables. But how effective are they? Can we learn to make better use of our time? Time planning aids and courses are available for the busy manager. It's a growth industry. Mastering our time. Time Manager International
11: operates in 28 countries. You should be able to plan a day in about five minutes if you have everything well organised, and that's what we have in the time manager system in the decision base. Things are broken down into sections that are easy to uh, access. And we would recommend that before the manager goes home at night, he has the day planned for the following uh, in advance. Um, I'm not a believer of people should make a rigid plan that that, uh, can't be moved. Uh, We have to respond to opportunities, but opportunities are very different to reacting to um, small things that crop up in our minds. We have the feeling, well, I must do this now in case I forget. And good planning will reduce that brain hopping from one small task onto another. I mean, for example, a messy desk is a classic way of, enticing your brain to leap from one thing to the other. Therefore, there are two elements to it. It's the element of what to do that's relevant, and then the when am I going to do it. Everyone makes a plan. I mean, most managers make a plan at any rate. We would advocate that you do it the night before, and the reason for doing that is if I can get home, having made a good plan of the forthcoming day, I can relax at home. But if I'm at home and my mind is hopping of what have I got to do tomorrow, I must remember to contact so-and-so and and do this. I can't relax. You can't gain more time at all. All you can do is to make the most use of the time that you've got. And it's very difficult to make the most use of the time that you've got unless you sit back and plan a bit, uh, say, at the beginning of the month or beginning of the week or beginning of the day and say, what do I want to get out of this coming period and make the most of it? I suspect that
10: the most efficient management of your time comes from a constant revision, a mental revision, of your priorities. And, of of course, uh, your priorities are conditioned by your values, the values you put on life.
9: I think if you're happy, it's usually because you're busy and involved in something, and that involvement makes time pass much more quickly. If you're bored, then some people have claimed that boredom is the awareness of the passing of time. In other words, the only experience we have of time passing at all is when we're bored, when nothing is happening, and when time is dragging.
6: Like a jail sentence, when time seems to stretch endlessly. I don't two years in jail myself, and uh,
12: we'd be locked up late, with, uh, and you'd be there for hours, you know? And then you'd be just... Time, you'd be just stretching out, you'd be, you know, wishing you weren't there, like, you know, and you'd be trying to make conversation with your cellmate, you know, your inmates, and trying to just kill time. Time just drags, drags, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking, like, you know, and you'd be saying to yourself, where did I go wrong in the past, you know, and all that, like, you know, of course you'd be blaming other people instead of blaming yourself. Do you feel you've lost time in your life? Oh, I have. I have. I lost an awful lot of time. Wasted it, in fact. You know, I spent, even before I went, I spent more time in a pub than I was outside. You know, literally making a fool of myself. That's being quite honest now. Like, subsequently, I ended up as an alcoholic. As I say, it's not going to be proud of, and I wouldn't like, wish that on, on my worst enemy.
6: And you find time goes much faster now that you're involved in something?
12: definitely does, it does, because I'm happy, I'm free, I'm, I'm not getting myself involved in any trouble, I'm away from drink, which is most important. And that, 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 that I'm off drink now a year and a half, and I can honestly say I feel a new man, I feel better, I'm sleeping better, I'm eating better, and subsequently I'm ho- hoping to get married. So, so you're not in not love? Oh, I'm in love, and there's nothing, you can't beat it, it's fantastic, with a beautiful lady... I'm engaged and all, and I have a house, and we're working on it at the moment. There's a lot of work to be done as well, and it's fantastic.
6: A lot of people say that when you're in love, the time flies faster, you know. When you're with your fiancé now, Mm -hmm. does time fly when you're involved with each other?
12: It do. It just... One minute, we might be doing a bit of painting, and before you know it, like, you know, it's into the next day, like, you know, you know just flies because we're, all, we're, involved, we're involved with the same activity all the time you know, we're, we're, we're working together and that love that I didn't have years ago is back again, I can feel like a human being again now
2: And I wish I
1: was young again My song still to be sung again The sweet tunes of my life I've gone sour and off key, writing my tired old rhymes, trying to turn back time. If wishes were fishes, we'd all cast nets in the sea. Because of having gone through a long illness, which was, which was. At one stage, very nearly ended it all for me. I mean, I came to a stage where I thought I just could not go on. Um, got, getting through that, surviving it, looking back on it, and I'm now using it. I'm using the experience I gained from that, that time. I'm beginning to use it to my advantage now because it had a positive side to it as well. Um, but I can... Uh, I look upon every day as a bonus, really. Because there was an actual time in my life and I didn't think there was going to be a tomorrow. Now I look on it and I say, yes, there will be a tomorrow. And when it comes, this is a new day, this is a bonus. And like someone once said, this is the first day of the rest of my life.
6: But can we make a new start each day and value the moment, experience the present with a fullness and freshness? Or does the past crowd in too much and steal our time? Or maybe we glance towards a future that seems to approach more quickly as our measure of years gets smaller.
9: The relative importance of past, present and future may depend on what age you are. Uh, Typically, young people are very much oriented towards the future because if you're a child, it's growing up, which means becoming higher status. And uh, if you're at the beginning of a career, you can look forward to achievements. Now, come midlife, most people go through some sort of reassessment of what they've done, what they've achieved up to now, and they're either happy with it or not happy with it. And I suppose that's a stage where if you continue looking towards the future, then what's at the end of that is death. And there's a gradual shift to looking forward towards the future, to looking back towards the past and becoming more nostalgic. And old people typically are much more immersed in their past than are young people.
3: Nostalgia is an attempt to hold on to time And I never look at an old photograph An old black and white photograph Maybe of myself and my family when I was young Or people who were long dead If you watch television now Most of the people on the television you see in old films They're all dead So you're watching dead people moving about in celluloid, And it's impossible for a lump not to come to the throat Because in some sense the 20th century Has at least conquered time In the sense that we now This tape is going to exist for a long time After the people involved are dead This film, this photograph And a photograph is a freezing of time into maybe one thousandth of a second and it will stay for a long, long time. I think that's very important that we can do that. We we were the first generation to transmit moving photographs, videos and films to a
13: future generation. The concept of the future, many people who worry, who are anxious, are people who live in the future. They're worrying about tomorrow, they're worrying about what's going to happen next week. One of the best antidotes that I know of uh, for anxiety is to try and live in the present. Many of us, when, when we are under strain and stress, we, we sometimes reminisce about uh, how good it was in the past. And we sometimes live in the past and we, we regress to earlier forms of behaviour which had helped us to adapt and helped us in our life. Now, I feel that, you know, as a country and as a group of people, we do the same thing. I mean, you take at the moment, you've got a lot of regression back to the past. You've got songs from the 50s, the 60s, you've got the nostalgia, people are insecure. Concerned about the past to, to a great degree can become an obsession and become very unhealthy. I mean, we we, t- we tend to be obsessed with it here in this country. We were magnificent for dreams and nightmares and... and, and
6: Living in the past, maybe, and uh, fighting and refighting the battles, the tribal battles of the past. Mm, that's right.
13: I mean, we're, we're doing it every day. We're, we're recreating the what was the word of the song, like the tombstone. Was it Paul Brady's song? I thought it was a wonderful line, uh, inscribing it on a tombstone or something like that, trying to uh, continually recreate the same conflict.
5: Now we're still at it in our own place Still trying to reach the future through the past Still trying to carve tomorrow from a tombstone But hey, don't listen to me Cos this wasn't meant to be no sad song Within the great flowing, losing river of time it's clear that there are special times which are so real that they almost stop the process it's like getting back to the childhood experience they stop the process when time seems to stand still falling in love is the is the is the classic reprieve from uh, from from from, uh, from adult time
0: it it hurtles one back into the miraculous world of timeless childhood one of the typical reactions is and uh, and i think it's probably a modern Reaction uh, is to say we have no time, we haven't got enough time. Why haven't we got enough time? Uh, I think it's um, partly because uh, we know we have to die, for instance. Uh, but on the other hand, we experience life as pleasurable, as enjoyable... So enjoying life seems to have a tendency in it of wanting more. Now, one way of wanting and getting more is to invent techniques, technologies, to gain time. By wanting more, we, and by even trying to get more, we put ourselves more and more under stress. So the whole phenomenon of stress i think arises from the fact of wanting more of life and knowing that there's an end to it that every even every day has an end but you want to get more into that day but when you do that you as it were dissociate yourself again from you may say, a relaxed from a tuning-in attitude uh, to time, where you have time. As soon as people are happy, as soon as people have an adequate relation to themselves, as it were, and to their lifetime, time seems to fade away. If some people fall in love with each other, they are so present and they're so fulfilled in their existence that, and they're so identical with what they live that the whole notion of time in the sense of which, which arises from waiting for something is, is not, uh, does not arise.
9: Um, I think when you're in love um, time, it does go faster um, or maybe the word I'd use would be more fulfilling you concentrate on having fun together because you know you're going to separate on Sunday night and you're going to be saying goodbye, so your weekends you know, are all the more intense. And then when you do separate, there is, um, if you like, an unfulfillment. You are tend to be more reflective, and time then goes slower. So, you know, you, you made the most of every minute. Yes. You lived it to the full. It was really intense time.
0: And being apart, you're inclined to say, what am I missing now? I'm missing her presence, her touch, her warmth her face, everything. I would think that for myself, that when we are together, time is, is, is f- certainly fulfilled and it is all time-consuming. It's a kind of possession of life which makes this whole idea of not having enough time for things, being under stress. Let me, let me give you an example. And uh, I know uh, an elderly lady who owns a chip shop, fish and chips shop and she's, she works in that fish and chips shop uh, from early in the morning till late at night. She doesn't know the eight hours work time and she doesn't mind. Why doesn't she mind? Because people, uh, lorry drivers, come to her, speak to her. She is like a mother to them and they are they accept her as something like a mother. They love her and she loves them And so that she says, well, this shop, this chips shop and this whole activity is my life. And because it is her life and because she is fulfilled in it, she doesn't care what time it takes. When we live a fulfilled life, a happy life, you may say, uh, time doesn't seem to play that much of a role anymore. We start counting the hours when we have to wait. But we don't start counting the hours uh, when we are among friends, for instance, or when we do what really fulfills us. Time becomes a problem when people have to wait.
5: Time is the is the invisible neutral element like like purest water in which everything happens in which we swim any direction we want to we can we it it is it is not altogether in our power to make to make go- make the time good but people who just think that good times should come to them instead of believe that they must make good their, their time. time. Uh, a lively affection just for being alive. These are the things that, that, that change time. You think of the, and you think of the good times. The best of times are when one has done good work and when one sits with real friends, eating, drinking, talking, singing. And we make those times for each other and for ourselves.